um, you know, for, for other people, it could just be like, you know, seeing them and talking to them, just, uh, you know, like one guy I saw, um, he had uh, EKG stickers still on his chest, you know, yeah, from yeah. and he had a hospital band and it was a hot day. So I think he didn't have a shirt on. And it, this was like really like on St. Julian, the, the crux of Skid Row. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, it looks like you just got out of the hospital. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what was going on? You know, he's like, oh, I have heart failure, but I can't remember to take my medicines. And I'm like, well, come to the clinic, you know, literally half a block away. You know? right, and, right. and he's like, well, maybe, you know. And so every, <laughs> you know, just once a week I'd come out and say, hey, how's it going? And so finally, I think this one time he's like, well, what are you going to give me if I come to the clinic? I go, what do you want? And he's like, I want a hamburger with chili fries and bacon, like, like the worst thing someone with heart failure because of the salt content. I'm like, fine, I will buy you a hamburger with chili fries. And I go, if you come to the clinic, I will yeah. get that for you. But you have to be stable on your medicines because it'll send you to the hospital. And, and the next day he came to the clinic. Did he? Yeah. And I was able to start him on his medications and he was, he was using cocaine and alcohol regularly. And he slow, he slowly uh, got down. We got him into interim housing. And then like within six months, we got him into permanent housing and he was coming regularly to his clinic visits and and he was like not using cocaine anymore and maybe, you know, having a drink here and there. And at one point I'm like, well, do you want your hamburger? And he's like, nah, nah. you know, because <laughs> he knew, you know, it's not necessarily good for you for, but he was so happy with his, you know, when he got the keys to his house, he came and showed them to me, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you just, something. you just got to figure out like how, you know, it's usually just a very, lackadaisical how's it going is there anything i can do for you and you it's just the persistence yeah um and 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 i also use humor and you know i just try to be down to earth with them and you know if they're if they see me and tell me to fuck off i'm like okay have a nice day <laughs> you yeah. know and then come back the next day <laughs> or the next week go, hey you need anything you know so Dr. You know, Kurt Toby, different. <laughs> yeah. What 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 people do you look for, like to treat first when you're out there on the street, like a triaging type mm -hmm. of thing? Yeah. So we're gonna look for the more vulnerable, uh, fragile people. So that would be elderly, um, uh, severely mentally ill, mm -hmm. um, people who who look like they have them, like, you know, the EKG stickers, you know, yeah. um, <clears throat> look like they have a severe meta or, you know, like you see someone in a wheelchair with, with like a, a cath, a urine catheter in the urine bag. I'm like, okay, we, we need to address that, you know, or, yeah. or they've got like the, the porta cath coming out of their chest. It's like, all right, I need to figure out what's going on there. So those are the ones that I, um, those are the ones that I try to engage. So those are the ones that are a little more difficult 
There might be more on the fringes. They might be less likely to be in encampments. Um, the good thing about encampments, though, is, is people kind of look out for each other. So they might go, hey, Joshua is doing really bad today. Can you go check him out? You know, uh-huh. um, so that's, you know, but usually if someone's in an encampment, they're a little bit more, they're a little bit better off, whereas they isolate themselves. Those are usually the severely mentally ill. Uh, let me ask you something. What what situations uh, break your heart the most practicing this type of medicine? The severely mentally ill. The severely mentally ill. Yeah, um, because they don't realize, uh, you know, someone might say, well, they want to be homeless. Look, they say they don't want this. They don't want that. And you kind of have to equate it to like, like, like child, like if, you know, if your five-year-old has cancer and they're kicking and screaming, saying, no, I don't want it. Like, you know, first of all, you don't not do the cancer, but you do try to, you talk to them and you try to understand what their fears are and you have a relationship with them. And in the end you say, I'm sorry, honey, but you really, we got to do this, you know? And it's kind of the same thing. I mean, not to say that, you know, people who are severely mentally ill or at the level of a child, but when it comes to their rational, their ability for rational thinking, it's just not, it's often not there. Um, so I saw this one woman, so this is, this is an example, like um, my nurse, my nurses were telling, were telling me about this one woman that they were worried about. And she actually had a, like a wound on her, on her breast. And, but she, and I mean, anytime you have like a huge, massive wound on your breast, it's cancer until proven otherwise. And, and she, but she was refusing to, you know, see a doctor, get, you know, surgery, chemo, the whole nine yards, nothing. So, you know, and she lives in her van with all these birds. So I'm like, so I'm immediately <laughs> thinking, okay, well, it sounds like she's mentally ill, right? So I go, we go to the parking lot where her van is and um, I start talking to her and she lets me see, oh, it was just horrific, just a horrific tumor. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, what's what's keeping you from going to, you know, get, get um, treatment? She goes, well, I really don't believe in allopathic medicine. Like I wanna be more holistic. And I'm like, okay, like that. And, and then everything else she said from that was made sense to me. Like, I don't agree with her, but it made sense, right? Yeah. So she's not someone that I would consider doesn't have the capacity to make medical decisions for herself. She does. Now you go to, <clears throat> you know, someone else I saw, I once had this one woman, elder, a little bit old, actually not elderly at all, but she just seemed a little older. Um, and she said that she had a hemorrhoid and she wanted me to look at her hemorrhoid. So we finally got her, this is in Hollywood when I was working at Saban, we finally got her to the clinic so I could see her hemorrhoid. And it was this huge, like excavating ulcer of the anus, like, like clearly cancer, you know, Yeah. like, like, Hey, thank goodness. I actually, you know, made the effort to like, you know, be her hemoglobin was like half normal, um, you know, but, and she was someone like she was, she was very, uh, she definitely had schizophrenia in that, um, 
you know, the CIA was out to get her and they, the walls were all tapped and she didn't want to go to the hospital because, you know, there's wires, you know, all over there and, and she's been warned to not go into hospitals. Like that's not a rational reason to not get medical care. Then she find, we finally convinced her to go to the hospital and we're trying to convince her to do a colonoscopy. And, and she was refusing to do the colonoscopy. And when, when we said, why are you refusing? She said, because I'm afraid that they're going to find cancer. And that's a rational reason, you know? Yeah. So, so, so you kind of have to, um, you know, there's, I'm not saying that everyone who's severely mentally ill doesn't have the capacity to make medical decisions for themselves, but the ones that are like dying on the streets, barely moving, only surviving because, you know, they're in the middle of Hollywood and Vine and people throw them food every once in a while. And, but meanwhile, they're like surrounded in their feces and urine because they can't barely move. Um, you know, and they're like, okay, well, I'm okay. Don't worry about me because they don't have the ability to make rational decisions for themselves. We actually yeah. had, we actually had a guy recently in Hollywood. My friend was calling me to, to ask me how to deal with this situation where it was, this was a newer person that they had seen and the people in the neighborhood were kind of saying he'd been there a month, but at first he was able to walk and now he wasn't able to get up and walk. And so when she first saw him, you know, he looked pretty bad off, but he was able to say, no, I'm okay. Everything's okay. And she took his, he let her take her, his vitals. They were okay. She comes back the next day. He hadn't moved an iota. Wow. <laughs> like, so, so, so clearly something's wrong. So when they called, so this is how bad it is. When they called the paramedics, the paramedics say, if he refuses, we cannot take him because that's kidnapping. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but then you have to ask yourself, is, does, is he making the best decisions for himself? So then it turns, so Thankfully, that same day, a social worker came and was able to put a hold on him, saying that he was a danger to self. He was taken to LAC USC, and it was actually um, discovered that he had had a heart attack. He was in full cardiac failure, renal failure, severely dehydrated. So had he would not have lived another day. No. So the other thing, though, is he's not mentally ill he was delirious. And so he was saying no, because whatever his medical, he has dementia and he was delirious from being so sick. And so that's the kind of thing where we really need to be taking, um, taking severe mental illness seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And really, and really seeing that they're, they're at risk for death but not just that, like they're suffering and they're going to tell you, no, I don't want help, but they can't tell you why, or they might give you a, a reason, or they might tell you why, like Jesus wants, I once had a woman say, um, Jesus put me in Skid Row to take care of everyone. So I have to stay here. I can't go to the hospital. I can't go to recuperative care because, you know, that's not an okay answer. Right. That's someone who cannot make, uh, 
medical decisions for themselves. So we really need to be able to um, tease that out. And, uh, and, and that's the most heartbreaking for me, really. And what's worse than seeing a severely mentally ill person on the streets who can't take care of themselves is seeing a severely mentally ill person in jail. Even worse, because yeah. they're at their they're at the full effects of their psychosis. It is in full bloom. And they're naked, they're eating their own poop, they're swimming in their own poop and pee. I mean, it's it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, so is... we need to stop putting severely mentally people in jail Absolutely. for stupid shit. And, you know, if they kill someone, that's another story. But, you know, if it's because they stole a bag of chips, get over it, you know, yeah, <laughs> and put, right. put them into treatment or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I know you train medical students in street medicine. Have you been getting uh, students that are wanting to pursue this line of medicine or are they few and far between? Um, I mean, so I, I, the, so the medical students, I haven't had medical students lately, but I've had, before COVID, I'd have like some USC medical students rotate with me, but I think it is the ones that want to, you know, be seeing this population. But I always have like a bunch of pre-med kids, um, you know, volunteering as my little helpers. And they're actually really, they're kind of like I was when I was going to Mexico in my early twenties, you know, they're, they're very dedicated. They want to learn as much as they can and they, they're really compassionate. And so I think it's really important to really foster that philosophy in them before they get to medical school or residency. Right. right. So yeah, once they, once, um, once they're in residency, it's kind of, it's a done deal. But um, I usually work with residents from Harbor UCLA or Drew, um, King Drew in the Department of Family Medicine. And both of those residency programs specifically recruit people who want to be working with that population. Well, so, that's good. To, that's good to hear. Yeah, Definitely. it's it's fun for me too. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy um, kind of fostering that that way of life and that philosophy. Well, working on Skid Row, I'm sure can be draining at times. What keeps your spirits up and gives you the push to keep keep on going and make a difference helping? Yeah, well, when we were, so when we started uh, going out in Skid Row in 2014, we started doing it once a week and we had a really good um, group of people where it was, um, a nurse from one of the recoup care sites. Um, it was LAPD. It was a psychologist, you know, and, and I think what was really helpful is that we would debrief afterwards. <laughs> and so, you know, um, it would really allow for us to kind of vent a little bit. Um, and then once they created it into a more formal program with a lot more people and it was a daily event I was going out like maybe three times a week um I think they still had a good sense of getting together and 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 talking about things and venting and debriefing um but to be honest like I was really burnt out just from going being out three days a week it's really hard 
Yeah, um, and so your 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 highs are high and your lows are low. That's what I always say. So your highs are so and so just got an apartment, you know, and they're yeah. they're so happy, and you're like on cloud nine, and your lows are so and so died, you know, or so and so's in jail, or you know, yeah. You uh, you talked about the harm reduction program. Can you mm-hmm. tell our audience? Uh, what that is pertaining to substance abuse? Yeah, I mean, you can pertain it to anything, but what it means is you, you meet them where they're at. So if, and you, and you, you participate in improving their health or uh, their lifestyle in any way possible. So um, if, if I'm working with someone who uses heroin regularly, um, and isn't at a point where they want to stop using heroin. Um, I'm at least, uh, I'm teaching them how to use the needle in the most sterile way so they don't get infections. I'm talking to them about using a new needle each time so you don't get infections. I'm talking to them about not sharing needles so that, you know, so, so the idea of having the needles and the alcohol pads to clean your skin and all this stuff that it doesn't like, they're going to use heroin no matter what. Right. Right. So do you want them to be using toilet water and the same needle from Joe Schmo, or do you want them to be using it in the the healthiest way? So again, it's kind of like taking that survival um, survival mode. And so, but, So what it is, is really meeting them where they're at so that they don't feel judged and they want to come back. And so that's really like creating a healthy environment where people want to come back is really key. Um, So and, and that's the goal of being a physician, too, like my goal is that they want to come back, not that they're going to stop using heroin, but that they're going to want to come back and see me. And over time they trust me and they'll only, they only want to come see me, you know, and very few times I say, you know what, you need to go to the emergency room. Um, But for the most part, I can take care of them. And, um, and then when they're ready, they're like, okay, I think I'm ready. And it's like, okay, well, we have a program. Let's talk to so-and-so about you joining the program and getting off heroin, you know? Time reduction, good philosophy, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you can even use it for like diabetes, you know? Sure. If I tell tell someone like, hey, you have diabetes, you can never eat cookie, candy, cakes, soda, you know? for the rest of your life, they'll be like, screw you, you know, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> right. But you can say, all right, this is what makes your sugars high. And having high sugars is bad because it causes this. Um, so, so what are some things that you think you can do that could help keep your sugars? So they, that way you get buy-in basically, because it's their decision, you know, right. Um, telling them that, you know, they have to do this or they can't do that. And so like this one time I got an answer where like, well, I drink about two, two liters of Pepsi a day. Maybe I can cut it down to one. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay. Yeah, we're making progress. I did not know you were drinking that much soda. (laughs) Two, that's a good goal to have, you know? So, 
Um, yeah, so the idea is just, you know, giving them a safe place to say whatever they want and not feel judged. And because you're not going to come back if you're, if you feel like someone's um, condescending towards you, I'm not going to go back. Right. You know, I went to a nutritionist once and she told me that, you know, my diet Pepsi was bad. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me my diet Pepsi is bad. (laughs) I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us about, uh, some of the services uh, Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles offers the homeless? Yeah, it's, it's actually quite an array of services. The first thing that uh, I think that they started doing is that they have an outpatient drug treatment program um, that for mentally ill uh, people experiencing homelessness. So that was kind of the beginning of, of um, homeless healthcare's um, uh, 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 you know, target uh, population and service. Um, and then they've, they've created so many <laughs> different programs. So they also have um, a program where they triage people who say they're court ordered to go to some kind of drug treatment program or like DCSF is requiring them to go to drug, drug treatment. So they can do an intake, get a sense of what their needs are. And there's so many different treatment programs out there. They can recommend which one is the best for you. So it's like a triage for, and so it's not just us, but it could be any any other drug treatment program in LA County. Um, The other thing we do is we contract with the Department of Health Services and um, where, uh, Department of Health Services um, pays for permanent housing for people, especially it started with um, people who are very medically vulnerable. Um, I think they're widening the net a little bit these days, but, um, and, and so uh, they, so this, this part of the agency um, is the, does the case management, <laughs> Uh, for those people. So we contract with uh, Department of Health Services. We also manage, uh, there's a, uh, there is a, uh, what's it called? Like a, like a residence um, for people who are diverted from jail, who are mentally ill, and we run that program. Um, So there's like 50 people living in this facility. Homeless Healthcare runs that program. We're also building, I don't know if you saw in the LA Times, I think it was a couple weeks ago, where um, homeless healthcare um, has paired up with an investment group. And they figured out how to build a residential facility and not have it cost $600,000 per room. Like, like it's like, a, you know, attempt the price or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and they're also um, being able to do it really quickly because they've figured out how to kind of circumvent the bureaucratic uh, aspects of buildings, you know. Yeah. Like that. I so- heard somebody, some, some woman out in Venice, Ursula, can't think of her last name. Mm-hmm. No, Soledad. Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Soledad Ursa. Well, they were talking about housing and mm-hmm. they were building units in Venice, mm-hmm. 450 square foot apartments, mm-hmm. 1.2 million. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, crazy. Per per apartment or per unit. The whole, uh, yeah, yeah, because they, you know, the contractor was getting right. money and the architect right. and, right. and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so so there's a lot of and then of course we have the Center for Harm Reduction where we where where we have the facility in Skid Row and where we are specific oh, and we also run the <laughs> the the refresh spot. So I don't know if you've heard of um, the refresh spot is also in Skid Row. It's a place that people can come take showers um, um, and get new clothes and do their or and or do their laundry, uh, charge their phones. You know, that's great. Hang out. Um, yeah. So so that's a really um, so that's just up the street from the center for harm reduction. So so yeah, we wear we have a lot of things going on. I think we do something with the jails too, but. <laughs> <laughs> hard to keep up with all these programs yeah, yeah. and we There's, do a lot of advocacy um and looking at grants and and stuff like that so we definitely do advocacy around mental illness homelessness drug use yeah that's our hhcla do you guys plan to expand to other areas outside of skid row because i know there's homelessness yeah well, so, we, so one of the things i didn't even mention we have a street medicine team so we have a nurse practitioner and um i'm the super the medical supervisor for that and i go out every couple weeks with them um and that's not in skid row so that's in like echo park westlake koreatown um so that's our jurisdiction for our outreach team which is contracted through the county, <laughs> um, but that's that's another hat we wear. Um, so yeah, we're and in fact our main our 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 main site is not in Skid Row. It's it's uh, in uh, in Westlake. So okay, um, yeah. So uh, and ending up, what are what are the ultimate goals of street medicine, and what are you most excited about going forward in regards to? Uh, HHCLA and what they do? So there was multiple questions in that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, goals of street so one medicine. of the things, okay, so the goals of street medicine, in my opinion, is to find the most fragile, vulnerable um, people who are experiencing homelessness, usually because they have some kind of medical, mental health or drug um, uh, use issue um, that is that's uh, either making them sicker or keeping them homeless or, or they're at risk of death. So those are, those. that's the goal, in my opinion, of street medicine. Um, and we're trying to get them into, we're trying to lure them into ser services. So like, like the guy that I promised a, a cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger with chili fries, you know, like, you know, we're doing anything to lure them into services. Um, ultimately, you know, we think that, um, you know, permanent housing is obviously the, the answer, but I think interim housing is really important too, which means like, if I see someone and I'm like, okay, you know, they're not sick enough to be hospitalized, but they're not doing so good and it's raining. I want a place to put them, like, yeah. today, you know? So emergency housing, or, I mean, there are sobering centers, but you know, there's just one in <laughs> Skid Row. And so, um, you know, I don't want to send everyone to the ER. That's not an appropriate use of their, 
you know, their time and services. So I want a place to put people uh, right away until their permanent situation comes about because what happens is they, they, they die, they get picked up, they, you know, they lose interest, they move and, you know, it can take up to a year to find a place for someone. So I want a place for someone in the meantime. Um, the other thing that I want is I want places <laughs> like, like my wish list. I want yeah. places, I want to put people who are experiencing severe mental illness, I want a place to put them. Um, and uh, so again, it could be interim housing, like, like temporary housing until we can find placement for them. It doesn't have to be a hospital, you know, if if they're gravely disabled, but there's nothing acute going on, let's just put them somewhere that's inside, um, you know, and not yeah. have to go the emergency room route, right? Kind of get these people off the streets, absolutely. So the problem though is with severely mentally ill, a lot of times they're very paranoid, very yeah. hesitant to accept any resources, like things that don't make sense, you know, like, you know, even like cigarettes, like nothing, you know, there's some people who just won't accept anything. So the thing that I'm most excited about that you asked is that um, we are starting to treat people of their mental illness. We're just, we're just doing it on the streets. We're not trying to hospital, well, you know, unless it's emergent, we're not trying to hospitalize them anymore. We're not trying to drag a psychiatrist out to see them or drag them to a um, mental health clinic which you know is is very difficult to handle for you know a, a, a person of sound mind never mind like a paranoid disorganized mind um and so i'm very excited about these there are injectable antipsychotics that last a month there's Depo another one that lasts three months yeah and this is the most exciting thing for me to start using these medications with their permission. Um, we're not doing anything involuntarily. We start them on orals um, just to make sure that they don't, that they, that they tolerate it sure. um, for, for maybe a few days or a week. And then we switch them to the injectables and it's a 180. It's a game changer. And they accept resources so much easier. And it's like, whatever was keeping them from, you know, saying, hey, let's put you into project room care. And they're like, no, 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 no. And now they're like, yeah, okay. You know, like- Yeah, that's they're, great. They're, it's, it's just so, so that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to um, kind of spread the news about to other street clinicians um, the Department of Mental Health does have an out, uh, an out a psychiatric outreach team, um, a couple of them. Um, but you know, there's like 5,000 people on the streets who need, you know, so, yeah. so as many people who can start, you know, feeling savvy and um, learning about, uh, you know, these particular psychiatric medications, um, and it, it really keeps them from being hospitalized, you know? Sure. Um, and some of them can actually handle, they, you know, they can live on their own, you know, they don't yeah. need to be in a involuntary. Now, some of them need to be in a boarding care because they're, they're not really going to, 
they're too far gone and they yeah. just still can't take care of themselves. They're not as difficult, but um, so those are the things I, and I, I work really hard to try to in, you know, increase the capacity that we can place people who are severely mentally ill, like, like uh, from a policy legislative um, you know, begging perspective, yeah. <laughs> not the actual building of a facility, but um, yeah. So if we can kind of get, uh, you know, right now, Medi-Cal doesn't pay for long-term psychiatric treatment. So if we can get Medi-Cal to pay for it, um, maybe we can have, you know, places where people can really, you know, feel safe and, you know, I don't know, garden, do ceramics yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever yeah, you, know, sure. you know i'm not talking about hospital or state hospital or institution you know i'm right. trying to stay away from those buzzwords like i really like if it were my kid or my mom or my sister i want them in you know a place where they're gonna thrive sure. but be safe and be happy you know right well homeless healthcare los angeles uh where you're the medical director is the uh, largest harm reduction organization in the United States, uh, providing mm -hmm. the needle exchange, naloxone mm -hmm. for overdose reversal, housing, hygiene services, and medical and behavioral health services, mm -hmm. doing it all, again, without judgment. Now, if people want to contribute to HHCLA, where can they go to do that? Um, I believe they can go to our website, which is www.hhcla.org. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, and I'm sure there's there's uh, somewhere in the website that directs them to. We'll, how to we'll put that link. It. We'll put that link on the podcast notes. And I want to thank you, Dr. Uh, Pertovi, for being on the podcast and for all of God's <laughs> work you and your organization. Uh, do to help make a positive contribution to this homeless problem. Uh, I wish you all the best and hopefully we pray the problem can be solved in the future. And just a personal note uh, from this host, uh, if you have a roof over your head and even one meal per day, be grateful you are blessed. These people on Skid Row have nothing. We all need to get off the couch and familiarize ourselves with our city's homeless problem and do whatever we can, such as donating socks, food, dog food, a toothbrush, anything else that can brighten some homeless person's day. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want everybody to stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>